Hey, fellow nerds, welcome to Research Hole, a podcast where I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett, and we have a very special guest today. Her name is Carmen Maria Machado. She's the author of Her Body in Other Parties, which is a short story collection that is surrealist and visceral and breathtaking. Um, In the Dream House, which is a memoir about domestic abuse, which also covers some of the history of domestic abuse, which is an unknown history, unrecorded. And um, she's also the author of a very cool graphic novel called The Lolo Woods. Very creepy, very teen, very Pennsylvania. She's been a finalist for the National Book Award and the winner of the Bard Fiction Prize, the Lambda Literary Award for Lesbian Fiction, the Lambda Literary Award for LGBTQ Nonfiction, the Brooklyn Public Library Literature Prize, the Shirley Jackson Award, and the National Book Critics Circle. John Leonard Prize. She is the Abrams Artist in Residence at the University of Pennsylvania, and she lives in Philadelphia with me, her spouse. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering when you were going to get to that part. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't want to not read your bio. I I had an idea that perhaps I would try to do a bio from memory and then I was like why would I set myself up like that (laughs) (laughs) like that is a hole that I would have dug Mm -hmm. on my own Uh, Mm -hmm. and it's a lot of prizes to remember I wanted to say them all I appreciate that thank you (laughs) Carmen and I are usually you know in the same house but today we're not um Carmen's at home in her office and I, I really like picturing you in there doing your thing (laughs) (laughs) and I'm visiting family I'm visiting my sister and her new little baby in California so I am in an Airbnb in Palo Alto and just apologies in advance for any background noise that happens like this is a very charming little cottage but it is there might as well not be walls. I had to send dad and Claire out because I was like, the mic will just pick you up wherever you are in this place. Mm-hmm. Carmen, how you doing? I'm good. I'm a, I'm a little tired. I had kind of a late night and because there's no one in bed, I had weird, I slept weirdly last night because I was oh, like, really? yeah, like, I don't know. I'm so used to having people with me and I just like, I just like was laying there for a long time being like and this, like fall asleep fall asleep and then this morning I woke up really early and I was like go back to sleep go back to sleep but like I couldn't I just couldn't make myself do it so I got up pretty early um even Same. though I yeah even though like I had I had a late night with some friends last night and it was like really nice but yeah have you well, had a had, what which kind of luck cologne did you have you I had double the shot? double sh- double shot today <laughs> Um, luckily I just got a new shipment of it, so we have a fresh set in the fridge. Good. A lot of options. Yeah. And, and you put together a whole bench. I put together a bench. I started some laundry. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just getting all my stuff done. You're very industrious when Thank we're not you. there. Thank you. <laughs> Carmen fans who might be listening to this for the Carmen content. <laughs> one thing you might not know about Carmen is she is ace at putting together a piece of furniture i do love it i'm very i'm very good at it 
um, I find it very calming and soothing and unstressful, which I think is unusual. I think most people find it, you know, stressful. It's it's like it's like a spatial puzzle, and you love a puzzle. I it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the engineer's daughter in you. Mm-hmm. So, what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about tigers in the United States. Yeah, I'm so stoked. So Carmen <laughs> Carmen came up to me the other day and she was like, I fell down a research hole. And she started to tell me about it. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I got to record this for my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can can you say what you were working on? Like what led you to the hole? I can't give you a ton of details, but I, I'm working on a short story for something. And the short story is about a town like a town in the United States in Pennsylvania rural Pennsylvania that is sort of set upon by these like images and visitations and sight and sightings and dreams of tigers sort of throughout its history um and 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 refers to and then eventually this sort of culminates in some things which I'm not going to spoil because it's sort of part of the story but um so I, I I sort of started this this whole this research hole with a very simple question, which I was like, okay, so obviously tigers are you know not not native to the United States, um, but obviously you know people there's like a ton of tigers in captivity in the United States with pri- for private not even just with zoos but like private owners, you know people who like watch Tiger King or sort of you know yeah this is like one sort of illustration of like one very egregious sort of example, but yeah there's a lot of like tigers in the United States now. But at some point, that was not true, right? And so I was like, okay, when did tigers, like, this was the question, was like, when did tigers come to the United States? Like, when were they brought over by whoever brought them over? And And I was, oh, go ahead, sorry. Can we say that, because isn't the story written like an academic article, right? It is, right. The article, yeah, the story takes the form of like an academic article, so... I sort of had to not just know this information, but like create like it's like a citation that like the author of the paper is giving. Right. Um, so it was like especially important, I would imagine, for you to have some facts in there, like like a background right. the way an academic author would write it. Totally. And I mean, some of the you know, a lot of the the sort of citations are like fictional, like it's interviews that didn't happen, like people that don't exist. But like I did want some actual quotes or some actual like facts that I could put in the in the paper to sort of give it that sense of verisimilitude like that was like sort of part of the project so I was like okay so first I just was googling like when did tigers come to the United States which was not a helpful search term at all like I couldn't like I was just like maybe someone's written about this and I don't have to do much work but as far as I could tell at least from my sort of preliminary googling like I couldn't it just there was no sort of answer I mean I was seeing a lot of stuff about tigers in zoos like at the turn of the century but like that was about it and so I decided I have like a subscription to the like New York Times archives and I, I use it for a lot of research because it's just such a rich deep dive yeah um, and I, find I wonder old, how far back that goes it goes back to like 1850 or eight or 1840 I think um okay. it goes back really far and it's like great a me I love reading old articles I mean I fall down a lot of research holes because of the New York Times archives like where I'm just reading old stuff but it's like even if you're just tracking like a specific issue like across you know, like, I want to know, like, what the Times was writing about, like, this subject. And you can just, like, get this, like, completely, like, this really fully realized, like, arc of, like, the conversation about a certain subject. It's, like, really, really interesting. I um, talk a lot 
I talk a lot on this podcast about newspapers.com and Mm -hmm. which is similar. It's just not just the New York New York Times, Times, right? Yeah. And Um, how that's led me to so many places. Yeah, I actually probably should use newspapers.com and have like more sources than just the Times because obviously the Times is just one paper. But I do I do also like their search function. Like I feel like I've used newspapers.com and it's like not as user friendly or something like the interface isn't as I don't know. I like the New York Times one better. Um, no, you're right. It's totally janky. Yeah, it's yeah. New York, I feel like newspapers.com. Yeah, it's super janky. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so I was like, OK, like I'm just going to like put in. So first I just put in the word tiger and I was like looking at the word tiger sort of in the New York Times and then you can like organize it by date. So I just organized oldest first. So Uh I was sort of trying to track like when, but like in the beginning, like, okay, so I found a lot of like ship manifests or not manifests, but like, like a lot of like articles in the New York Times in like the 18 whatever, like 50s that are like ships that are coming in and out of the United States, like just like lists of ships. And like some of those are called to have the name tiger in them. So like that, like, that's not helpful. And then I was finding, like, you know, t- there's a lot of, like, other animals that are called, like, the tiger something. Like, the tiger swallow or whatever. Like, like, like other animals that are not actually tigers but are, like, have tiger in the name or, like, plants. Um, like, tiger being used as a metaphor. Like, sort of, or someone's as furious as a tiger or whatever. I found, like, some, you know, very, like, deeply racist articles about, like, tiger hunts in India. Like, and then I started to find more stuff about, like, tigers in other countries which I was like which is not what I'm looking for like I'm looking for the U.S. specifically and then in the middle of all these articles I found an article from like 18 well okay hold on wait actually before I say that so like I did the first one that I found that felt definitive was I found this account of so-called Jim the Tiger who is a Jim. tiger Jim was <laughs> <is> his name <laughs> and Jim was a tiger who I think his life ended I believe in the Philadelphia Zoo which is like the which you know which you know we live in Philadelphia as as you know I don't know if our listeners know the listeners know but um and so Jim the tiger had he was he died in the Philadelphia Zoo but he came he had been at the like I think the Bronx Zoo for a while or some zoo in New York and had been uh, had been bought or had been sold to the zoo by P.T. Barnum who had brought him and he was like at the time he died he was like 25 and he was like according to the article well according to the article which like who knows but like they were like he was like the oldest tiger in captivity in the United States he'd been in the United States for like 25 years and that was in like the eight the late 1880s or like early 1890s so like okay so now I've sort of tracked okay P.T. Barnum had this tiger brought this tiger somewhere in like the 1870s ish or like even a little earlier but like that was the earliest sort of thing that I could find and then and it sounds it sounds like it sounds like that was not common at the time mm -hmm. the way the way you're talking about it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no I mean that maybe it's not the first tiger but it's a it's a enough of something to be written about Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That it's like in the it's in the paper, and it's like he was. It was like there were two articles about Jim the Tiger when he was dying, and then when he Aww. died, like there was like an actual like not an obituary exactly, but just like poor. And it was like I love how these articles are written. It was like poor old Jim Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if twenty five is old for a tiger. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But and like. Young. And then once you got into, like, the 1900s, then you found more and more articles. Like, there was some article about – a series of articles about, like, this tiger in the Indianapolis Zoo that, like, killed a guy. And then, like, two months later, like, they were trying to send the tiger to, like, the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo. And in the process, the tiger ripped the arm off, like, the zoo owner. (laughs) 
Wow. <laughs> this tiger where you're like, that tiger does not, I mean, he had like, yeah, he'd eaten, he'd eaten some like teenager who had thought he was wandering in to feed like cubs of some kind and accidentally walked into the tiger enclosure and the tiger just fucking just, slaughtered him and the end like yeah two months later he like rips the arm off the owner of the zoo that um, tiger so, was out for revenge he was not happy Raja I believe that tiger's name was so like but that was like in the 1900s so like I was like okay so I've now sort of tracked it back as far as I can tell P.T. Barnum seemed to have brought a tiger in like around like the 1870s ish and then I found an article which I am about to read in full <laughs> To you and listeners. Yes. Um, we're so excited. We're so, I'm excited. so excited. So it's the title of the article was Fight with an American Tiger. And it's from what? New York Times in January. It's January 29th, 1853. Okay. So I'm so going to read the article and then I'm going to explain to you like sort of what I tried to figure out about what this art about this article. Okay. So the article Fight with an American Tiger. A correspondent of the Galveston News gives the following account of a desperate fight between Mr. Absalom Williams, who was about 70 years of age, his wife, and an enormous tiger, which occurred on the 1st of December at Mr. W.'s residence. The tiger was first discovered on the premises of Mr. James Drake, who lives in the north portion of Jefferson County, where it entered his enclosure, attacked his horses, and killed one, besides wounding two others. Well, the sentence is so good. While the tiger was committing its depredations, it was discovered by Francis Drake, son of the proprietor of the premises, who fired a shotgun at it, wounding it in the side, but not dangerously when it made its escape. The next day, while Mr. and Mrs. Williams were sitting in their house, the rest of the family being absent, they were startled by a strange noise in the yard in front of their house. Mr. W., on going out discovered his dog engaged with a tiger when he seized an ox yoke and aimed a blow at the varmint, but missing it struck his dog. <laughs> oh, no! It's okay, the dog gets away. The dog then got okay, away from the tiger you. and retreated. In an instant, the tiger sprung on Mr. Williams, seizing him by the hand, jerked him about 20 feet. The oh. old gentleman, finding himself in the powerful grasp of the wild animal, courageously determined it to give it... Sorry. The old gentleman, finding himself in the powerful grasp of the wild animal, courageously determined to give it the best rough-and-tumble fight in his power, and having no <laughs> we- and having no weapons within reach, he seized the tiger by the throat with his other hand, and throwing his whole strength forward, crushed the tiger to the ground, both falling side by side. At this time, Mrs. Williams came to the rescue with a gun, which she snapped at the tiger, but there being no priming in the pan, it did not go off. Mr. W then, with one arm around the tiger's body and grasping its throat with the other hand, by an effort disengaged himself. The tiger, discovering a new adversary in the person of Mrs. W, jumped at her and attempted to grasp her head within its jaws while it struck and lacerated her breast with its forepaws. She tried to avoid the monster, but was felled to the ground. The tiger made another grasp at her head, his upper teeth penetrating the top of her skull and sliding along the bone, peeled off the skin till they met the lower teeth, which penetrated the right side of her face. In the meantime, Mr. W. had seized the ox yoke again and giving the tiger a tremendous blow, caused it to leave Mrs. W. when it leaped into the house and got under the bed. (laughs) The door was immediately closed and the monster secured. Mr. W. was exhausted from the efforts in his wounds from which the blood flowed in streams, but not so, (laughs) but not so his better half. 
when she saw their mutual foe thus attempt to take possession of their house. She determined to finish the battle, and notwithstanding the severity of her wounds, her dress almost entirely torn from her person and covered in blood, she deliberately took the gun and, shaking some powder from the barrel into the pan, placed the muzzle between one of the openings which the logs of the house afforded and fired with a steady and deadly aim. The tiger was killed. When subsequently measured, it was found to be 12 feet from the tip of its tail to its nose. During all the time the fight was going on, no one but those engaged with it were within hearing. Mr. W.'s nearest neighbor lives with three miles off. However, as Mrs. W. was washing the blood from her person, a neighbor came riding by and, alarmed at her appearance, inquired the cause. The old lady, unable unable from the loss of blood to speak, pointed to the dead body of the tiger. The escape of Mr. and Mrs. Williams is indeed wonderful, and they are now recovering gradually from their wounds. Mr. W. jokes about the tiger fight and in, and, in, and intimates, intimates suggests that the old lady was most enraged when the varmint took possession of his bed and house. <laughs> and that's the end of the article. So thank you. Oh, my God. So obviously deeply thrilling. I am particularly tickled by the um the just the fact that they're like and then when she was like oh no that tiger's not going to be in my house <laughs> and like that she that she killed it. I don't know there's something very funny about the way this article is written. I mean also uh committed its depredations is like a really amazing sentence. Um, yeah, there's so many good sentences. I see why you liked that one you pointed out like Mm -hmm. the one early in it with the num it was like so many little phrases yeah it's it's a really um it's just a yeah the way people used to write i mean i i just i find it really charming um and such an interesting it's so interesting and it's funny because it's obviously like journalistic style is obviously i mean writing has changed and journalistic style has changed but it's also just like there's so much drama in this article like which i feel like is like it's weird that we think of journalism as so sort of cut and dry in a lot of ways or like journalistic writing. Um, And there's just so much unnecessary information in this article. Oh my God, that, that really visceral line about where his teeth were in in terms of her head. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's so specific. It's so specific. Yeah. So, so then I was like, okay, so I read this article a few times and I was like, okay, so, And also at no point are they like, a tiger? What's a tiger doing here? Where did the tiger come (laughs) from? Like nobody ever like questions the nature of the tiger. And it's like funny because I've, you know, I'm also doing all this, like a lot of the research I've been doing, I found a lot more contemporary articles about like tiger sightings in various places in the U.S., you know, which is like assumed to be like a pet or like a, you know, one that was in captivity that gets out or is released. And people are like, where the fuck the tiger come from? And like, I had to go to all the local owners who are like, it's not my tiger. I promise all my tigers are accounted for. Um, (laughs) And like, there's no nothing of that in here. So I was like, okay, I sort of wonder if tiger is is being used as a euphemism. Like, because they say an American tiger and there is no such thing. So like that must mean that might mean something else. Like it doesn't necessarily mean a tiger tiger. Right, um, like maybe it's just a big beast and they're calling it a Or tiger. like just like another wild cat, basically. Because like we do have a ton of wild cats here. The, the the thing that made me pause, though, was in the length. So the length is described as 12 feet from tail, tail to head, which is huge and is 
this is the size of a real tiger of like a of like a a non-native tiger but also is much bigger than any other wildcat in the United States. It's bigger than a mountain lion. It's bigger than a panther. It's bigger than a leopard. Like, it's bigger than any... I mean, and they, a lot of those exist, like, in, like, the deep south. Like in the, and this is obviously in Texas. Or, like, in Mexico or, like, coming out from South America. So, like... But it was just, like, much bigger than any other wildcat that could possibly... It could possibly be. But then I'm like, but they could have exaggerated. Right? Like, they could have... Someone could just been like, oh, it was huge. You know, it's like a... It's like a, you know, a wild tail. And so they just exaggerated the, the length of the creature. Yeah, um, I mean, they're pro- the journalistic standards, like, we don't know what they were. Perse- well, I mean, they, I don't think they were. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Who, who the fuck knows, you know? Um, and so I, like, tweeted about it because I was, like, super interested in just, like, what if other people had thoughts about this idea. Um, and somebody pointed out that they, they found this um, article about, like, Texas native cats. Um and it is it does say in that article that sometimes in Texas there are or there can be um jaguardinis which are like these kind of like bobcats like they're really small um jaguars ocelots bobcats and mountain lions and none of them are 12 feet long from from tail to head like that's they're all much much smaller than that even significantly so so there's that so somebody linked me to like the Texas Wildlife Association and it was saying that early settlers sometimes called jaguars, who are, like, primarily coming up from, like, Mexico. Like, they could be in Texas, but it's, like, unusual what they do exist. That they were sometimes referred to as an American tiger. So it's very possible that it was a jaguar, um, which would explain why they don't describe it. And it's not considered unusual. Um, and it's called an American tiger in the headline of the article. So that's sort of so basically I was like, okay, I feel like there's not enough evidence to suggest that like this is a, a tiger tiger. Are jaguars the same jaguars? Are they the same size as tigers? They're big. They're no, they're smaller than tigers. So then I guess you're kind of assuming that it's like an exaggeration. Like they just exaggerated the size right. of okay. the animal. I mean, they're big, but they're not I mean, tigers are tigers are massive and like jaguars are smaller than them. Um and are also kind of like, I mean, they're spotted, like they're, in the, but they're also like in similar to tigers in a lot of ways. Cause they like, the stripes are kind of arranged or the spots are kind of sort of stripey looking from a distance. And like, they have kind of the same like orangey coloring with like the white on the breast. So like, you know, they, it's not entirely dissimilar from a tiger, like visually speaking. And so, yeah. So basically I decided, okay, so like, this is not, this is probably just like a wildcat. It was just like a weird little funny thing that I found and like ultimately it's not helpful to me in any way but I thought it was really funny it's amazing Um, I mean that article that article is the story in itself yeah 100% yeah oh my god the the lady like trying to shoot the tiger and then the gun isn't right somehow I know well the gun just wasn't like low like yeah it didn't have like what do they say I was like it, it's like that is very specific to a time or right. to gun people. At a gun. Oh, the time Mrs. Williams came to rescue with a gun, which she snapped at the tiger, but there being no priming in the pan, it did not go off. I have no idea what that means. Gunpowder, yeah, maybe? What kind of gun is that? I have, I mean, who the fuck knows? This is the kind of gun where, like, if this was how guns were today, I'd be like, people can have guns. Cause, like, it takes yeah. 50 million. <laughs> it's like, to, to do something with it is, like, would be so hard. Like, it would just take so long. Yeah, um, dude, they try to shoot it so many times before they, like, yeah. do any damage. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, also, the fact that they're like in their 70s. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the, um, in the 70s and the 1800s, which is like yeah. not like a 70s today. It's really different. <laughs> um, I love when she saw their mutual foe that's attempt to take possession of her house. She was determined to finish the battle. <laughs> like, I'm just like, yeah, Mrs. Not my W. Shit. Don't I know, take my house. <laughs> exa- that's exactly what I would be like. I'd be like, you can do whatever you want, but if you come into my house and mess up my stuff, you're in big trouble. Here I come with yeah. my big old timey gun to catch you. <laughs> I don't know. It was just, it's such a weird, it's just such an interesting, uh, yeah. It was just, and, I, and I feel like when I read old articles like this, this, they're always this like weird and I'm charming and I'm like really interesting and give you just really good turns of phrases, I feel like. Um I love the titles of old articles. I know that in the in the 1910s, at least, like the early 1900s, there's like long titles and then even longer subtitles. And the oh, subtitles yeah. are yeah. sometimes even like lines of dialogue. Like it's it's right. beautiful. Right. What was the right. title of this one again? Just Fight with an American Tiger, which is not okay. like a particularly, you know, yeah, vivid if, or, you know. If it was like 50 years later... It would have been like seventy-year-old woman battles with tiger, semicolon or like subtitle. <laughs> I did not want him to destroy my house. Woman said after being bloodied in the head. Like that's what the <laughs> <laughs> that's what newspaper headlines evolved to eventually. Um, I feel like now that I'm looking at this, I also want to read you this very short article about Jim Tiger. <laughs> I want to know more about Jim the Tiger. Okay, so this is an article that was reprinted in the New York Times from the Philadelphia Telegraph. Um, uh-huh. And the headline is, A Dying Bengal Tiger. Poor old Jim Tiger. While the dark days of winter send their chill blasts through the leafless branches of the trees, and a scene of cheerless desolation scatters itself over the pretty enclosure at the zoo, the winter of his tiger ship's career is rapidly gathering around him and drawing together the shadowy curtains of life's clothes. Jim Tiger, the royal bangle, for who for who over nine years has reared or sorry, yeah, who for over nine years has reared his proud head and darted flashes of untamed fire out of his great threatening eyeballs has slowly but surely dropped from the foremost rank he held without equal in the rare collection of savage animals. He has sunk gradually through the decrepitude of age until it is doubtful if his best friends who knew him in his prime and vigor would be able to recognize him now. The once smooth, shiny coat with its bright and beautifully striped rings of black has lost its charms. Their brilliancy has faded and the hair in many places has fallen out apparently by the handfuls on the back and sides, leaving ugly gray spots. This will destroy what value his skin might have after he dies. The anatomy of the beast has been worn and wasted by age and disease combined until the flesh seems to have almost left it. Jim Tiger was among the first of the collection of savage beasts secured by the Zoological Society. He was obtained from the London Society and has been in captivity altogether for a period of 25 years, the longest of any wild beast ever exhibited to the public. When he first came to the garden, he was ferocious and threatening, but by gradual degrees, he became wonderfully susceptible of kind treatment. It will probably not be many days before Jim's cruel chains of captivity will be broken and the old beast will no longer delight the eyes of children and spectators at the zoo. And that's wow. December 28th, 1885. That is just 
that's just a, a sort of meditation on mortality and yeah exactly exactly and then once he actually dies and then there's an article from 1886 so like pretty soon after that article jim the tiger dies of old age philadelphia january 14th jim the oldest and largest tiger in the united states is dead he died in his cage at the zoological gardens at eight o'clock in the morning at the ripe old age of 25 jim was bought from pt barnum more than 10 years ago until within the past few years, he was very fierce, and during the centennial year, he killed his mate. His keeper followed the fortunes of his royal tiger ship from Central Park, New York, where he was kept by Barnum during the winter months, to the zoo and waited upon him daily until he died. The death of Jim was not unexpected, as the old age heavily upon him, and he's only been kept alive of late by tender nursing. During the declining years of his life, Jim became very patient and showed great friendliness for those for whom he was indebted for kindly acts. His skeleton will be prepared and sent to some scientific institution. As his skin was not in good condition owing to his age, it will not be prepared. Jim's death leaves only a tigress in the collection. It is intended to purchase some new animals in the spring, and among them will probably be another tiger. And that's from January 15th, 1886. So only like two weeks or something after the other article. Um, was it the same guy writing it they don't have bylines none of these articles have bylines yeah i I don't know when that started but like yeah none of literally none of the articles i've been reading have any bylines of any kind so i have no idea who wrote it started either but like Nellie bly in the 1880s was like a celebrity journalist and like the rise of muckraking like that was celebrity journalism so i this is a thing i don't know anything about yeah but like a lot of these articles i'm like just let me just open up like the other ones i've been there's like let's see how animals are secured for zoological parks even this one this is from 1903 and this does not there's no byline on it at all this is like example. This is like the long sentence you're talking about. How animals are secured for the zoological parks. Method used to trap lions, tigers, elephants, and other wild creatures, and to transport them through the jungles to agents at the coast. <laughs> That's like the whole headline, <laughs> which is so long. Um, that one was not particularly interesting to me to, for my purposes. Boy, oh here, boy killed by tiger. This is the Indianapolis one. Okay. Boy killed by tiger. Lion cub keeper in Indianapolis absentmindedly enters the wrong cage. Indianapolis, Indiana, February 15th. Albert Nielsen, 15 years old, a keeper of lion cubs at the zoo in this city, met a terrible death today in the cage of a Bengal tiger. It was Nielsen's duty to feed the cubs at 9 o'clock. Instead of opening the door to the cub cage, he absentmindedly, it is supposed, opened the door of the tiger's cage. The bloodthirsty animal crouched in a corner until Nielsen was well inside the door. Then it sprang upon him with a roar, and though he made a fearful struggle, the tiger bore him to the floor. His flesh was torn off in large pieces, and the tiger, maddened by the taste of fresh blood, was about to begin eating him alive when help arrived. Keepers hurried to the scene with red-hot irons, and while these were applied mercilessly to the tiger's flanks, five revolver shots were fired into the beast's head. Nielsen managed to crawl toward the door and was quickly dragged from the cage. He died in a few moments. The tiger was not seriously injured. Nielsen's home was in Piqua, Ohio. Wow. And that's February 16th, 1901. I think that it's really interesting that in both, there are words that suggest sympathy for the way, for the captivity of the tigers. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, that they say, even though the tiger, you know, killed, is killing a boy, they use the word mercilessly to describe how hot irons were applied to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or like with Jim, I feel like. Right. It talks about like 
soon like the, his his cage will be free, or he'll be like free of his captivity captiv- didn't they say like cruel captivity yeah. or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. yeah and that's like wild because it's in the same article they're talking about how he brought smiles to children's faces and blah 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 um I guess I would have imagined a more simplistic understanding of captivity Mm -hmm. at the time, like that people didn't become maybe aware of or weren't concerned with the animals' feelings at that time in history. But it sounds like both. It sounds like it's like acknowledgement of the complications of it, that it's good and it's bad. Yeah. 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 Well, I feel like it's just like also the tone of it. I mean, I feel like also in terms of like how these articles feel different and they're so different from contemporary journalism in so many ways, but like it's a de- they're deeply like emotional. Like it's like a very like emotional sort of argument that's being made. Like you would never hear the, the phrase like cruel captivity being used outside of like a quote. Um, like it's just it's such a because it's so loaded and so intense. But yeah, like here, no, it's true. It's like very sympathetic to the tiger. Um yeah, and sympathetic to the boy too. I mean, no one wants to die that way. But, yeah, uh, but no, they yeah. Um, and then literally, so that's like Feb- February, and then April. So like a couple months later, oh, Tiger wow. turns on trainer Frank T. C. Bostock, badly injured at Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Indiana, April twelfth. Raja, the Bengal tiger that fatally injured one of the keepers at the zoo in the city several months ago, today attacked Frank C. Bostock, proprietor of the zoo, and dangerously injured him. It is feared that Bostock will lose his left arm. Preparations are being made at the zoo to ship. Also, I should say zoo is in quotation marks every single time. What? And That's I, I think it's. I think it's because it's zoological. People call them like zoological parks. Like the sort of slang of zoo is like is like only starting. Right, so like new. I think for some reason I think it's because it's like slang. But yeah, every so it's like zoo is like in quotation marks. Anyway, um, uh, in this uh, zoo is feared that Bostock will lose his left arm. Preparations are being made at the zoo to ship Raja with several other animals to the Pan American Exposition at Buffalo. Mr. Bostock took Raja into the arena this morning with some intention of putting him through some tricks. Bostock wore a heavy wire mask and carried a revolver and a club. At the conclusion of the exercise, the beast was released and started toward his cage. The animal suddenly leaped upon Bostock and forced him to the floor. A trainer rushed into the rescue and drove the enraged beast to his cage after firing several shots into his body. And that's the end of the article. The tiger has been shot so many times. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because the other article, it's like he gets shot like five times and it's like the tiger was not seriously injured. It's like, yeah, because it's a fucking tiger. Like, it's just like, it's like it's like a mosquito bite to him. He doesn't care, you know? God damn. Yep. <laughs> sorry, can I read you one more article that's actually about a hippopotamus? Fuck yeah. Okay, sorry. This is really cute. Um, I think Where it has the word. From? T- it is from do, 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 1889. And it is, I it, the word tiger was in it very briefly, but it's not about, it's not about a tiger. But I just thought it was so funny that I downloaded it because it was hilarious. Okay. A baby hippopotamus. This is the headline. A baby hippopotamus, Mr. and Mrs. Caliph Murphy, are to be congratulated. That's the headline. (laughs) And then it says, born at midnight on Sunday last in the Central Park Zoo, a baby to Mrs. Fatima and Mr. Caliph Murphy, the well-known and popular hippopotami. Young Murphy's advent on this mundane sphere is an event worthy of more than a passing note, for to him or it is due the honor of being the only hippopotamus to first see the light of day on American soil. 
On young Murphy's upper lip, there's already a scornful curl, which, translated to, to animalistic volapic, reads, I'm no immigrant, but a native-born citizen, see? Whoa. Baby, I know, right? <laughs> Baby Murphy's parentage is such as any hippopotamus might be proud of. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fatima Murphy, the mother, is a sylph-like blonde. Sylph-like because she weighs only two tons, and blonde because her stomach and tail are cream colored instead of dark gray, as are those portions of the hides of the common herd of, hippop- of hippopotami. Fatima is only six years old. She was brought to Central Park in 1886 from Hamburg, whither she had been taken from a limpid stream on the west coast of Africa. Caliph, the proud father, is made of sterner stuff, is eight years old, and weighs almost a ton more. He was imported from Nubia to Cincinnati and from thence brought here to be the lord and master of the fair and petite Fatima. For the last three days, Caliph has led a miserable existence. His better but smaller half has not been in the sweetest of tempers and has been punching him about their cage and crowding him out of the water tank as though she owned the earth. Keep in mind she's pregnant, so like honestly give her a fucking break. But relief to him came with the appearance of young Murphy, and now Caliph lies in an adjoining cage and coolly winks his black eyes when Fatima howls out to him her words of endearment. Baby Murphy was born in the Lion and Tiger house at just the hour of 12. Superintendent Conklin and Keeper Hugh Downey were present to welcome the little stranger. It only weighed 40 pounds, an unusually small weight for a baby hippopotami, which averaged about 100 pounds at birth. Its skin is cream-colored, spotted with pink. It cannot be called a pretty kid. (laughs) So mean! (laughs) As of many other other homely babies, it can be truly said of young Murphy that there's a striking resemblance to the father. Its height is about 14 inches and its length about 30 inches. Its legs look like more like four big warts than anything else. Its eyes are closed. Its ears are mere holes in its big head. But its mouth is a beauty in which could easily be concealed a head of cabbage. These, however, are merely marks of extreme youth. And if Murphy lives a week, its weight will be nearly 200 pounds. Its skin will begin to turn gray. And the legs, ears, and other anatomical adornments will develop to the degree considered proper by judges of hippopotamus beauty. (laughs) Superintendent Conklin and the attaches of the zoo are as proud as possible of young Murphy. Fatima and her little one are doing well. And yet nobody has been allowed to pay his respects to the baby as Mr. Conklin is afraid that mother would become frightened and plant one of her feet, which support her two tons of flesh upon the body of the little one. This might nip in the bud young Murphy's future career. The press will be given a peep at the baby in the morning and in a week or two the public will be received if the baby is living then and its present activity does not forecast approaching death. Superintendent Conklin gives it as his opinion that young Murphy is destined to live and be loved and admired by the children of New York. In Superintendent Conklin's office yesterday, a date for the christening was discussed, and naturally, many names were suggested. Of course, sex will have something to do with its determining this, but this much is practically settled. If it is of the feminine gender, it will be called Mary Ellen Ryan Murphy. If a male... (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. If a male, it will simply be known as McGinty. (laughs) (laughs) They really want it to be Irish. I I yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe because it's a New Yorker. Oh, right. This is like the late 1800s? Uh, This is 1889. Mm -hmm. I'm like, is Tammany Hall a thing yet? Maybe not. I don't know. 
Though there has never been a hippopotamus born in America before, several have been born in Europe. Three were born in the London Zoo. Two died. The third lived and is known to visitors as Guy Fox, though by virtue of its sex was entitled to a less opprobrious name. I don't know that word. Opprobrious? Um, one was also born and raised in the zoo in Amsterdam and one in the Antwerp Zoo. Fatima will nurse her baby for 10 months where it will be weaned on hay and oats. Baby hippopotami do not take naturally to water and Fatima will have to cultivate in young Murphy an amphibious desire to disport in the big tank. And that's the end of the article. That was amazing. <laughs> it's a real journey, that- isn't it? Listen, that article writer, byline or no byline, was having a grand time. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like this, was, this was his opus. <laughs> he had a great couple days writing that. Yeah. You could tell, you could tell he was having fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I wonder if that hippo lived. I don't know. I didn't. I, I, could, I mean, I could follow the thread. I could probably look it up, and I'm sure there'd be other articles about it if the baby lives or dies. I don't, I don't know. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. I can look it up too. Um, okay, yeah, I'm sort of. Yeah. Cur- I am also kind of curious. So check out the show notes if you want to know if if uh, Murphy <laughs> slash Mary Ellen what was it? Ma- oh, wait, wait, wait. No, it's so good. We're gonna say it. Wait, Mary Ellen Ryan. Wait, Mary Ellen Ryan Murphy, or if it's male, but known as McGinty. McGinty. <laughs> and I don't know. I just keep thinking about Fiona. Yeah, I also was thinking about Fiona as well when I was when I was reading this. Carmen, we I mean, many people love Fiona. That's not weird. But like Carmen got a cameo from Fiona last year and has a special place in her heart for Fiona. I love Fiona. She's so beautiful. She is beautiful. queen. (laughs) But um, I mean, I think I think it's really interesting how. Okay, so. What this tells me is, like, Americans have been fascinated by slash love hippos for a long time. And their fatness or lack thereof is a source of great amusement, entertainment. Yeah, the stuff about like, about her being svelte and blonde, like, <laughs> I'm, Fatima. I'm like, is she, is, she he- is Fatima healthy? I think like, she's just, it's just smaller. It just, it's funny because it's, like, translating. It's, like, it's, like. Like, what makes this article, I think, so interesting to me is that, it, like, it's really human. Like, they're like, Mr. and Mrs. Caliph Murphy be congratulated, but, like, that's the hippopotamuses. Like, it's the hippopotami. <laughs> like, it's, like, talking about them like, like they're people. Stuff about- they have last names. Like, Jim the Tiger did not have a last name. It's Right, it's true. Yeah, and this is Fatima Murphy and Caliph Murphy. And the whole thing about like the the on young Murphy's upper lip, there's already a scornful curl, which translated into animalistic volapic reads, I'm no immigrant, but a native born citizen. See? And I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> That's so intense. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow, city. I yeah. mean, also, I'm like. So then, then they put them in separate tanks, which I assume they did out of some knowledge of science, right? Like maybe I get, the dad yeah. shouldn't shouldn't be with the mom and her baby because of. But also the thing about baby. how they don't want to startle her because they're afraid she'll like trample the baby. Yeah, and like why? You know, of course, I'm like, why are they bringing the press in at all? Um, but yeah, I'm glad I'm glad they at least kept the press out for a, a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Lincoln bio to see, or Lincoln bio, uh-huh. Lincoln 
show no- <laughs> we'll see in the show notes we will we will follow the thread of whether mm-hmm. the hippo lived it's um it's all fascinating do yeah. you think any of has any of this impacted your story at all no, I mean, this is the funny thing is I, I was like, this is why it's like a research hole, because I'm like, most of this is like not helpful to me in any way. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm not. This is what I say every week when I talk about myself. Yeah. I'm like, none of this will go in my book. <laughs> right. And I mean, it's it's like I'm not even really. And I think the thing is that like because I'm mostly finding stuff about tigers and zoos like in this era, like and I'm not writing about zoos like I'm writing about sort of private ownership and tigers, you know, being brought here. Like, I mean, obviously it's relevant, but it's not like the sort of, it's not part of the thrust of my story in any way. And so ultimately it's like not very useful, but it's very interesting. And now I'm kind of like, I kind of do want to write like a zoo story. Like, cause it's just, it's so, the tone of it is so interesting. And I guess I am also like, I mean, zoos are obviously really like complicated and interesting. And also like, you know, zoos at this era, like we used to keep people in zoos, you know, and it was like deeply racist and fucked up. So like, there's you mean like, like freak sh- you like freak shows or no 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 like there was a there was a a black man kept in the Bronx Zoo like in the at the turn of the century like we did all this like fucked up shit like like yeah it's kind of like a freak show but like also like racialized like deeply racialized wow. um like the history of like the way zoos zoos have functioned as sort of like instruments of like colonization and racism and you know is like really fascinating it's not like an area of expertise that i have but i have read a lot about it and maybe i do have like a zoo story so maybe it's like maybe i'm what i'm really doing is like getting material for a story that i'll write in um you know a few years or whatever um or maybe someday when you write about an animal in an old-timey setting you'll use some of some of those great this words. language yeah exactly yeah or the personalization um, right like like the or the humanization i guess like I found it even in the bird, like the old bird books. Mm-hmm. Like we can't help but talk about birds as if they're people. I mean, like. I think that's true still today. I feel like a thing that like I think a lot of trainers talk about with like dogs is like we there's a lot of like we like humans do a lot of projection of their emotions onto animals. Um, yeah. And with like dogs and cats and like domesticated animals, it's like we it's it's weird, but it's like normal. But like with wild animals, it's even weirder because it's like at least domesticated animals, like there is some level of like with dogs especially, like, there's some level of understanding between like dog body language and humans. Even though like obviously dogs do like people misread dogs all the time, but like it, with a wild animal where it's like there's just there's no comparison. Like there's no yeah. like 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 it's it's like there's just. It, like it's it's not human in any conceivable way but it's like we're such narcissists as a species that we can't help <laughs> but like project all of our um thoughts and feelings and emotions we're like oh it's clearly and it's like it's like so obvious it's like it's like somebody's having a really bad day they're like clearly that bird's having a really bad day and it's like is the bird having a bad day or are you having a bad day like what's you know like i just feel like it's it's just so like we just are humans just do that they just like need to make everything about themselves yeah um, and it's like in a sense, it makes sense because you're like you only have your own context, and and I think it's a very yeah, like you said, it's a very human thing to try and mm-hmm. relate something to you in some kind of way. And if if people aren't taught about animals, it makes sense that they would just be like, oh yeah, that's the that's the lady, and she's all 
moody <laughs> or whatever whatever right right thing. right he's just his wife's so cranky it's like she hasn't let him in their tank like she's so mad and it's like um she is pregnant pregnant in fucking cage it's so and it's so funny because it's also it is like so yeah it's like so sexist it's like it, oh clearly the hippopotamuses have the exact same um sexual politics as like <laughs> as like our or like gender politics as like america as like this era of american so it's like why why would they have why would they have that do they have gender like you know like i don't know yeah oh my god and that that hippo might even might be mary ellen i just i can't get ryan mary ellen ryan murphy mary ellen ryan murphy jesus i i keep thinking about karen joy fowler karen joy fowler yeah yeah we are Mm -hmm. all completely beside ourselves that is a great novel, and I feel like if you're interested in these questions of, like, humanity and animals is, like, a really good – it's, like, a really incredible novel. It's about a girl whose parents are, like, gorilla – like, scientists studying gorillas, and she looks back on her childhood. Um, so there's a lot in there about, like, how do we humanize – how do we try to treat animals like humans, and are they humans or aren't they? Mm-hmm. yeah it's a I great will, uh, book it's so beautiful i read it because carmen read it and carmen i think you we were on some kind of public transit like a train or something i was like sobbing i was like sobbing and sobbing and sobbing <laughs> i was so it's really it hit a lot of tender points for me it's a great great book um yeah, that yeah. last line. I still mm. remember it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah if anyone has any interest in animals or the history of how animals were studied that's a great novel for you we are all completely beside ourselves by karen joy fowler um i actually have a very good so we have a segment at the end of our podcast called something i learned this week (laughs) and the idea is if i get enough listeners maybe people will write in to research hole podcast at gmail.com and share one of their research holes um that that happened this past week and i'll get to read them but since this is the first season and we're we're very little we're growing my dad has provided all of the something i learned (laughs) this week (laughs) excellent um so do you want to do something i learned this week with me please I know that there's one about zoos, and it's perfect, so I'm going to pull it up. Should we abolish zoos? Dad shared with me an infographic Mm -hmm. called Do Zoos Still Have a Place in the World? Um, I'll put the infographic if you go to um, researchholepodcast.com. I have like show notes with pictures. You could look at it there and I'll put a link in the show notes too. Um, I'll say some of the things that are on the infographic. So it's like, it's like two sides. So on one side it says zoos can educate the public and foster an appreciation for other species. Zoos can save endangered species by bringing them into a safe environment. The vast majority of captive breeding programs do not release animals back into the wild. And then on the other side, it says animals in captivity suffer from boredom, stress, and confinement. Removing individuals from their natural habitat endangers wild popu- the wild population. 
So two sides of the question, do zoos still have a place in the world? Um, hmm. Of course, PETA, Dad had a quote from PETA. Um, surprise, surprise, <laughs> they're not into zoos. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> the, the quote says, zoos are prisons for anim- animals camouflaging their cruelty with conservation claims. Mimi Beck. Bekechi, director of international programs at PETA, explains, animals in zoos suffer tremendously both physically and mentally. They often display neurotic behavior like repetitive pacing, swaying, and bar biting. Not surprising, perhaps, considering the typical polar bear enclosure is one million times smaller than the area they would naturally roam. Hmm. And, and then one final thing. It says, some, however, argue that children benefit from zoos. We engage huge audiences with wildlife, inspiring the conservationists of tomorrow, argues zoological director of ZSL London and Whipsnade Zoos. I just love British names. (laughs) (laughs) Professor David Fields. And then it says that claim is up for debate. A 2014 study by Society for Conservation Biology found that over 2,800 children surveyed following visits to the London Zoo, 62% showed no pop positive learning outcomes what do you think i mean i i I will say that i have a friend who has worked in animal conservation um who i've known for a really long time and we once talked we actually went to a zoo like when i was like in i've known her since high school and we were in college when i was in college she visited town and we went to the national zoo in dc um and i remember like we actually had this like conversation and she was talking a lot about conservation because it's like a thing that she like does and like is knows about and i was like oh that like makes sense um and of course in dc in that time was when like the pandas were born it was like this whole thing it was like very dramatic for the city what happened with the pandas they oh that they were baby pandas got born and it was just like like huge i mean like they did like they made panda statues everywhere and they put like pandas on the metro cards and like pandas were just it was just a huge panda pandemonium panda central (laughs) like when i came to campus like you know how, like, cities do those, like, art projects where they have, like, a, a single statue that, like, a bunch of artists paint different ways? Um, yeah. DC's was pandas. And so, like, on the AU campus was just, like, a million pandas. Wow. In ver- with various – yeah, it was, like, really intense. So, so like, I have – so, yeah, that was, like, a whole thing. So, I don't know. I mean, first of all, I just want to say fuck, fuck PETA. Like, I think PETA is, like, the worst organization. They're so Oh, my horrible. God. Why? We never talked about this. Oh, PETA's, like, super racist and, like, really fucked. Like, it's, like, it's and it's, like, very, like, they're, like, more interested in, like, animal. I'm gonna probably going to get, like, nasty messages about this. But, um, Listen, yeah, they're just, like. This is this is a, not a podcast for experts. And if you have <laughs> nasty messages, you can write them to researchholdpodcast.gmail.com not Carmen on Twitter. I will, I will field the nasty messages. Carmen Thank Carmen you. has enough Twitter. I have, I have enough Twitter people, people mad at me 24 hours a day <laughs> to last my entire life. So anyway, yeah. So like, yeah, PETA is like a really horrible organization. Like, I mean, I am like, I am like very sympathetic to like sort of, an, you know, animal, animal rights and to like, you know, organizations that like want to move away from animal products. Like I find that very sympathetic, but PETA as an organization is like deeply fucked up. Wow. I'll have to like, maybe I'll put in the show notes like an article about PETA and racism because I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, PETA is just like really broken. But that being said, I, I do, I am sympathetic to the fact that like, yeah, it is weird that like we have animals, like there are animals in the wilds. 
And it's like, e- even when we bring animals in before conservation purposes, it's like we've created the problem that created the conservation issue. Like, like you know, it's like we drove yeah. an animal like into sort of near extinction and then we have to like bring them into captivity to like br- breed them to the point where they can be re- introduced into the wild. And that's just like, we've it's like humans just creating lots of problems where there, aren't, where there weren't problems before, you know? Um and like, I, I, and it's hard because I think of the, the sort of the argument of like it educates and like it could inspire conservationists is a very like, it's like, it's like that makes sense to me, but there's no way to measure that. Like, it's just. Yeah. It's I just wonder sort, about this study they mentioned. Like, right, what they, are positive learning outcomes? Right. Right. Like, what does that mean? And like, is there a way to like say like, oh, we ultimately end up saving them because like X number of children like go into blah, 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 you know. That just feels like really hard to measure. Whereas like the, the the brilliant thing about the PETA quote is that it's like a very measurable. It's like such a, I mean, it's a great, it's a, they're good at what they do. Like it's a really, you know, the quote of like, it's a million times smaller than like their yeah. actual roaming. It's like very vivid and specific. I don't know. I mean, I guess I feel, I mean, right. I like going to zoos. I like aquariums. Like I like seeing animals, but also if you said to me like zoos are bad and we should get rid of them. And I was like, I wouldn't be, I'd be like, yeah, that, I mean, I would like be sad not to be able to like see an animal, but also like if that was better for them, I'd be like, okay. Um, what did your friend tell you? Like when you went to the zoo with your friend? Oh, you just cause I was, about- I think cause I expressed some like, God, zoos are weird, aren't they? And she was like, actually zoos are like really actively involved in like conservation efforts and like, I mean, it's, I think the pandas are specifically really funny because pandas, I don't know if you know anything about panda breeding or like how tricky it is. Do you know, do you know anything about this? No. So pandas in the wild, when pandas aren't being hunted, pandas reproduce very seldomly. They're really bad at having sex with each other. <laughs> like they're so, like they're weirdly inept at it. And like, and like the gestation of the pregnancies are like really long and they only have like one baby at a time. Like they're just a very like slow breeding species which like isn't a problem unless they're being you know hunted out of existence and so like it becomes an issue when they're trying to conserve them and so like in zoos and like when you get to zoos it gets like because you have them in captivity like their breeding gets even harder and apparently they have to show them porn like panda pornography like they have to show them videos of pandas having sex so they pandas will be like oh that's how you do it yeah um <laughs> that's so cute and then babies and then like babies yeah it just takes like a long time for the babies to 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 live and like they're just born like one or two at a time so i i mean again i haven't looked i haven't thought about this in a long time but like i think the pandas i think it might have been twins that were born or it was like something that was just like really right so really that's especially deal. why it would be a big deal yeah, yeah there was something that was like a massive deal at the national zoo that these pandas have been born in and like and also just like a lot of times like their pregnancies don't stick like it's just there's something about pandas that like they're just really bad at breeding like they're just or not bad at it but like they're when it's done in these circumstances like it's just very inefficient and so so yeah so it's like people sort of argue like oh like but we're we're trying to like up the population of pandas which like in the wild have been poached and hunted um, but I remember, yeah, my friend is sort of being like, you know, a lot of zoos are responsible for like maintaining populations of animals that otherwise would have gone extinct because like in the wild, they're in danger for whatever reason. Um, all of human made reasons, but like nonetheless, like the zoos have like a function. Yeah. Um, I mean, that to me, like out of all these arguments for zoos. Like, that seems to be the best one to me, like mm-hmm. not knowing anything about it beyond what I just read, but like. 
I I don't think teaching children about animals is a good enough reason because right right I mean it's like when you show a kid an animal in the zoo it's exciting but like what are we really showing them we're showing them an animal in a cage right and like it's like a few minutes of their life like it's not a meaningful interaction I mean and it's like what are we what are we teaching them really you know right and I mean I feel like there's also like there's a halfway ground like I don't know what you would call but like you know there's like there's a wildlife parks where it's like the animals are protected but they're not enclosed like they're you know yeah um, and so there's like there is like other versions of that where like you can technically sort of see them but they also just like aren't beholden to you like they're just sort of like wandering around and are being tracked and monitored and like you know and there's like everyone sort of keeping an eye on them and like they're safer than they would be just like in the regular wild but like they're also not in a case so I feel like there's like other models that maybe are more or better for the animals but also the, I'm like not an expert you know oh um, yeah not, neither of us are we're just like, <laughs> we're just like oh interesting article <laughs> yeah but I feel like also like zoos have a really complicated history as I was saying and like even just reading these other articles about like you know it's like and I can also imagine, I should also say, like, I feel like they also would have really captured the imagination at the turn of the century in a way that I feel like is so different now. Like, we have the internet. Like, we can sort of see anything we want. But now, you know, if you, like, want to look at an animal, you can, like, put that put it into YouTube and, like, see the animal. It's like, it's like to see something is not. But, like, I feel like if you were a person in New York in, like, 1886 and you got to fucking go see a tiger in a cage, you'd be like, holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, and travel is, like, not a thing. Exactly, yeah. Like, I'm not saying that even there's, like, an argument for it, because, like, it's also still, like, deeply, you know, colonialistic? Sure. Yeah, like, it's, like, it's still, like, fucked up in all the ways you would expect, but also I feel like the impact of seeing an animal that you've never seen before, that you've only seen, like, drawings of in books, if you've seen it at all, and, like, seeing it in the flesh in front of you in a place where you're like, I would never have seen this in my lifetime if not for this exact thing, is sort of, like, a different feeling than, like, I'm like, oh, I heard this animal. I'm going to Google it and find, like, 18 videos of it immediately, you know? Like, yeah, that's I mean, a really that's, different energy. That's, like, a thing I've learned, too, about, like, in, in studying historical ornithology, because there's, like, bird people in my book, um, and learning about the history of, of bird scientists, it's, like, so obviously bird science used to be shooting birds and stuffing them and then studying their parts. Science. Science! <laughs> <laughs> or maybe capturing a bird, putting it in a cage, and trying to keep it alive. Um, and, you know, it seems super inhumane, but... And, like, bird banding didn't happen until later. But, like, it's not that I'm, like, that's fine because of the time period. But you understand why they did it when you think a bit about, like, there were no cameras. Right, right. Like, there was no way to, like, study them in the wild. Birds are really little. And, like, they fly. Like, there's no way to sort of get up close to them unless you shot them or, like, managed somehow to capture them. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, like, the camera fucking changes everything. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember, so I have this very strong memory of my mom taking me to the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Ooh, yep, yep. I went with my little sister and my little sister's best friend and her mom. And there were PETA protesters at the, the circus. And... um. 
as we were walking up to the circus, one of the PETA people came up to me and was like, here, little girl, do you want a book? And she <laughs> handed me a free book. <laughs> it was like a little booklet. And, you know, as we went inside, I was like, yeah. And as we went inside, I like read it. And it was about like an elephant who used to be in the wild and was happy and free and then was then captured by the circus <laughs> and like all the horrible things the circus does to the elephant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I like read this before watching the circus. Did, the, I, did it make the elephant really tragic? Were you just like, oh my God. I mean, the circus was still cool to me. Like right, it's just, right. it's just a real, it's, there's a lot going on, but I was really upset by it. And I remember like trying to tell mom and I was like trying to understand why we were going to see these elephants who were being tortured. How old were you? I think I was like seven. Okay. So you were pretty, you were really young. I mean, it's funny because I feel like circuses are, it's like circus is actually sort of an example because like circuses do not have the ability to say like oh we're conservation it's like conservation efforts right so it's like yeah they can't they can't front it's like zoos with like the science just totally stripped away and like circuses in the U.S. have really changed like they don't do like when we were kids you could go to a circus and see like you know elephants or whatever and like I remember even when I was in college I remember doing like a photojournalism project where I went to this like circus that came through town and it's like the whole shtick of the circus was like we only do like they we definitely like dogs and like horses like domesticated animals but they didn't they didn't use any wild they didn't use tigers or lions or oh or elephants or anything like that um and like that 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 was like sort of the and like uh, barnum and bailey stopped using elephants and stuff like a few years ago like that was like a huge story was they officially were sort of like we're not gonna source any more what you know anymore took like them long animals. enough <laughs> yeah but i mean but because it's like it's like basically like the opinions sort of turned against them i mean circuses also are kind of like i feel like sort of like a very dated pastime anyway but yeah. like they were just sort of like it just wasn't working with like the contemporary audiences and there was just a lot of controversy and like they were eventually just like okay like this is this is just not taking anymore and they basically announced they were going to stop so like there's something to be really interesting about that because it's sort of like you'd think that would happen with zoos, but zoos also manage to sort of skirt around it because zoos do have this ostensible or actual like scientific purpose. Um, and, and, and like the sort of audience piece of it is like just like a sideline to like their conservation efforts. But yeah, circuses are like, because yeah, they are deeply. I mean, also like I saw Dumbo when I was a kid. Like I was very traumatized. Yeah, we all by, saw like, Dumbo. Dumbo. We was all big saw Dumbo. We little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like I mean, the whole all the stuff about the mom. I mean, the, the stuff about the mama elephant, like trying to pet Dumbo through the cage. Like I just was really traumatized by that as a child. Like it was oh. just so sad. Yeah. Um, and I actually had a stuffed elephant that I would often like tie up in various ways, like t- as if he was like captured. Um. Wow, like, you were processing that. I really was. He was like this. I remember it was like he was this really weird. I don't know who gave this thing to me or where it then eventually went, but it was like a pink sort of embroidered or not embroidered. Yeah, embroidered, like an embroidered elephant. Um, and I, I was whenever he was around, he was always like tied to something or in something because I had seen Dumbo like 50 times and I was like, he's not free. <laughs> like he's not, he's not free. <laughs> Um, you were a truth teller even then, Carmen. I was just like, I was just you were very, just yeah, digging into the complex shit. God, I haven't thought about that in so long. But yeah, no, the elephant stuff was really intense to me. Um, and we had Bambi. I mean, Bambi came out when we were like 
I mean, it's not about a circus, but I'm saying like we had a lot of media. We had Fern Gully. We had a lot of media. The Fox and the Hound. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Geared toward kids. That mm -hmm. was like man is the enemy. Right. Animals are being fucked up by man. And like we're going to tell your generation about it because maybe your generation will change it. And it's like I think that's why they did it. Yeah, I totally think so. I mean, I think that, I mean, Dumbo, I don't know. But, um, I mean, Fern Gully, like, you remember the message at the end of Fern Gully? What's well, funny, because a lot of the movies you've mentioned are Disney, but Fern Gully is not Disney, is it? No, I don't think it is. Yeah. I mean, I, like no, no, no. Fern Gully is, like, a super, like, environmentalist. Like, yeah, 100%. Um, and I feel like there were also, there was also that movie, did you ever see that movie Once Upon a Forest? I remember hearing about it. Oh, my God. That That movie is burned into my psyche. So it's like a group of woodland friends and there's like a terrible accident, like a like a truck overturns um, and spills like some kind of toxic chemical into the it was like a feature length film. Oh, my God. Do the friends slowly die? Well, no. So like so like (laughs) they go looking for one of their friends and they like, and there's this really, I can like visualize it in my head so clearly. So they like go down into like the stump little house that's like in the tree of like this one little friend. And there's like the mama and the papa are like dead and like sprawled on the floor. And then like the little, the little baby, there's like a little baby like skunk, I think. And they like get her out, but she's like really sick. And like the healer is like, you have to go find this one flower that will save her. But, and then the whole movie is like them journeying, but it's like, it begins with like, an environmental catastrophe, like a truck that, like, sends, you know, has a car, a truck accident, and then, like, this chemical gets into the woods. And it was just like, I mean, I haven't seen it. I, I saw it a bunch of times when I was a kid, and it is like that scene of finding them dead, and like it's full of gas, and the Bill Baby's like, <laughs> and they have to like rescue her. It's like really fucked up. Like, it's God so damn. bad. Oh, then there was the, the rescuers down under. That was also like a conservation. It was? Yeah, I was more of a, an original rescuers girl. Yeah, no, it was very, because, yeah, the original rescuers, right, it's about, like, rescuing her from that, like, whoa, scary lady. But, like, no, the rescuers down under involves, like, the eagle being trapped, like, this, this like, Australian hunters trying to catch that eagle that the boy is riding. And, like, I mean, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but that also had, like, a very, like, the enemy. It's, like, the animal and the boy, and then, like, the enemy is, like, this poacher hunter guy figure. Um and it's like, I wonder if it worked to some degree. Like, I wonder mm-hmm. if our generation has different ideas about conservation. I mean, we do. But, right. like, have, yeah. we, have we made any meaningful change? Well, that's that, another I guess conversation. That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, and I also wonder if, like, kids today are getting that same kind of messaging. Like, I obviously I feel very hopeless, as you know, about a lot of like environmental stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's hard not to feel hopeless. And I want like when I think about media for kids now, I think about like it being more about like celebrating human diversity and the human spirit and like getting along like mm-hmm. I'm. That's so more like human focused than like animal focused. Yeah. And I wonder what that's about. I mean, I obviously, I do, we don't have kids, so I don't know. Right. We're only, yeah, we're but, only getting, like, the big-time Pixar stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also, like, I'm also remembering like, when we were kids. Like, do you remember, like, zoo books? Like, I used to get the zoo books in the mail. Yeah. I used to get those, like, 
Yeah, it's true. I haven't thought about that. There must be. I'm sure there's some like somebody has written somewhere about just like this like trend of like conservation and like it would have been like the 90s, right? Yeah. Um, and perhaps the 80s too. I mean, I think Dumbo yeah, yeah, was a yeah. lot older. Dumbo was much older. Yeah, yeah. But I think like yeah. 80s, 90s. But you're right. It's like our sort of focus has changed, um, sort of in terms of like the cultural sort of milieu or whatever. So yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, so I I don't know if we learned something exactly, but we we thought about something. Yeah, we did. We did. Thank, <laughs> th- thanks, Frank. Thanks for the uh, the infographic. Again, if you'd like to share something you learned this week, uh, either while researching a project project or just living your life, email me at researchholepodcast at gmail dot com. I may read it in a future episode. Um. So Carmen. Is the story already placed? Like, if someone listened to this podcast a year from now, could they go find the story you're talking about? Yes, they will find it. Um, Barring know, some terrible catastrophe. Do <laughs> yes. we know where, or is it, like, too early to say? It's, uh, I, I can't say yet, because the project is sort of under wraps. Has not been announced. Okay, mm-hmm. very exciting. Um, but, so when, when the project is announced, maybe I'll put in, like, a little update. I think that's, yes, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, and the update will be in the show notes, of course. Um, and people can find you. It's easy to find you. Um, it, it is. I'm everywhere. If you turn around, I'm right behind you. <laughs> they could find you yeah. in a glossy reviewing perfumes. They could find you on Twitter. It's. Uh, I, I always try to ask my guests, like, where can people find you? But I think. I'm I think findable. Sh- I'm everywhere. Just you. All at once. And like, I mean, if you haven't read Carmen's books. I know I'm biased, but remember that awards list I just read? So it's not just me. Oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, I do want to thank you for doing this because I, as your spouse, know how much podcasting is part of your job. Um, <laughs> Carmen has appeared on a lot of podcasts, and I'm not saying it's like grinding or whatever, but it is like work. Um, I've, I've seen her constantly you know, promoting her books or um, engaging in like literary conversations on podcasts. And I love editing. um, But when I edit like, you know, my sister's application for something, it's still work. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just I want to say to you, Carmen, I know I know that you are doing something you wouldn't already otherwise do on a Saturday and I really appreciate it thank you so much it's real been a real pleasure what a what a this is such an exciting podcast and I hope everybody listening if you haven't already listens to all the other episodes yeah dudes um please listen and you know this podcast goes through the end of June but I was thinking I would do a bonus episode if we get so we currently have one review on Apple Podcasts and like five ratings so I was thinking if we could get 10 reviews by the end of the month, Ooh. I would do an extra episode. Um, so if you want to just give us a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd be nice. Or And then maybe I'll look for like more ratings. Because like ratings, you really don't have to do a lot of work. You just like click on the stars. So I mean, I'm, I'm not – do whatever you want. Life <laughs> is hard. But if you want an extra episode <laughs> – I'd love if you could rate and review us. <laughs> okay, that's the, that's, you, the, that's the subtitle. That's the subtitle of the article about you. It's like 
Val Hallett speaks out. Do whatever you want, she says. Life is hard. <laughs> it is. It's really hard. <laughs> you just listened to Research Hall. I'm Val Hallett. Our music is by Joey Hallett, and our logo is by Leah Felicity Lucci. Goodbye.